0: Pharaoh in front of God's people, and so let's read this together, and just see what the Lord would speak to us as we worship him this morning, and get into his word. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, let's read it. Come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's the word of the Lord. Amen? You guys okay? (laughs) You kind of took a shot there. So did I. Let's pray that God would use this and speak to us. God, we just thank you for your word. It instructs us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It gives us perspective. Your words are the words to live by. Your word is the foundation of our lives. Change us, adjust us this morning. We open our hearts to you. Speak to us. Illuminate your word, not mine, but your word to us and to our hearts this morning. Help us as children. Obey their father. Listen. Listen. Mr. Begg says this, in reference to this passage, to think biblically is to not simply think Christian thoughts, but is to think all our thoughts from a Christian and biblical perspective. Amen? To think biblically, it's not just to think Christian thoughts, but it's to think all of our thoughts from a biblical and a Christian perspective. C.S. Lewis says it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun. Not simply because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. God comes to us through his word with the idea that our perspective, the foundational blocks by which we build our lives, make decisions, think about things, would be shifted and adjusted to reflect his, amen? And God has spoken to us through his word that we as believers, as Christians, in response to of a life of worship to Him would shift and adjust the way that we think about things, where our affections go and what our pursuits are, would be adjusted to His Word. Amen? I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. The, the, The rising of the sun isn't just so I can see it, but so that I can see everything else because of it. And the Word of God speaks to us today to adjust the way that we see everything else. And he gives this warning, we see, to the wealthy, to the rich. With the purpose of changing the things we care about. Adjusting us and deepening our affections where our affections are supposed to be deepened, according to his word. Changing our perspective and our value system, altering the foundation blocks by which we live. Changes His word changes the way we view earth, the way we view poverty Way we view everything this morning, and I, as I as I looked at this passage and studied, I looked to Calvin's commentary, and I think I tend to agree with him. There's some debate about this, but I think it's clear from James in this passage that he is warning uh, those, and his purpose is to exhort the rich, quote unquote, in this passage, not to repentance. You don't see hope for the rich here. What you really see is is an exhorting and a rebuking of the rich in a terrifying way so that the faithful would see the pronouncement of judgment without this hope or or, or gift of pardon and, and would respond in the way that they think about their own wealth. Let me say it this way. The, this addresses in regard to the faithful that they... This is Calvin's words. The addresses in regard to the faithful that they, hearing the misery and uh, miserable of the rich, might not envy their future. And also that God is the avenger of the wrongs they suffered. They might with a kind and reserved mind bear them. So I think what we see here is James is talking to those that don't know Jesus. Where you see throughout the book of James... Him referencing brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. We see here that he doesn't reference brothers and sisters, and he is rebuking in such a way that there isn't hope. So you're seeing him rebuking those who have, are, are far from God, are not in Christ, and have put their hope and their treasure in the things of this world, and there is a warning of judgment for the purpose of the faithful, seeing the terrifying warning of judgment, and adjusting their perspective as they respond to the gospel in Jesus. Does that make sense? that he's not speaking to those just with wealth. It's not about those with wealth. I think if we were to compare ourselves to anyone else around the world, we're all fairly wealthy. He speaks not of those just with wealth, but the rich, quote-unquote, immersed in pleasures, inflated with pride, thinking of nothing but the world and the pursuits of this world. Devouring everything By their tyranny and their pursuits Oppressing others to get what they want He's speaking to those who are going after The goal of the things of this world And wealth and more and more and more And more and devouring anyone that gets in their way And those who think not of God and pursuits of Him at all And James here is pointing out Similar to the Old Testament In the way that Ezekiel Rebukes Pharaoh speaks of his judgment in the presence of the people of Israel lest they become envious of Pharaoh and all the things that he have and recognize that that is his end any word may fell him that that his end is judgment and lest they be envious of him they hear the prophetic rebuke of him and understand and change their perspective of what the faithful might look upon and become envious of the Word of God comes to us this morning in James and says, hey, lest you become envious, lest you pursue these things above all else, let me give you a little perspective as to what matters and what you should really value in this life by telling you what's going to happen to those who pursue their wealth and in self-indulgence. got everything they want. I really would love that. Let's get some perspective on how God sees things so that we would have the right perspective in our pursuits. Amen? So James speaks right to our heart as we grow in Christian maturity and as we respond to the things of this world, the things that attract us and the things that tempt us and the things that we may be tempted and, and, and draw our affections to and want to pursue. James gives us a very clear and I would say a very terrifying relationship to how we think about wealth and poverty. In the Bible, really, we have to give some context to this because the Bible talks a lot about wealth and poverty and what God thinks of it. And I think it's important to have that structure underneath us as we kind of build and look at the perspective that James is giving us through the Word of God this morning. So James here, he's showing the folly. Showing the folly of setting a high value on wealth. He's showing the folly of envying rich oppressors. He's showing the folly of feverishly trying to a- obtain what others have. It's really an address of the sin of covetousness, is it not? L- looking at your neighbor and being like, Man, look at what he's got. Look at that. Look at all those things. I would really love to pursue that. I would really love to get that. And James is laying out and demonstrating the folly of all that, of that temptation. The rich appear to have it made. Fortunate. They're the ones that just have have all the access, have all the ability, have all the comforts of this world. And what James shows us prophetically here is that they should be the ones moaning and groaning. They may be having great meals and access to the best restaurants and the, and the most expensive entertainment. But in verse 5 he says it's like they're fattening themselves for the slaughter. take to heart the warning of the sin of covetousness and the misuse of our wealth. And the warning's not about the extent. The warning's not about the extent of one's wealth. It's really about one's attitude to the wealth that we possess. Is it not?
1: Listen, there's a
0: temptation here for each of us to be like, yeah. Like, and just... Take a shot at those who may be at a wealth level above us. See, guys, here's the warning for you. I'll never forget as a 20 year old, 21 year old, I, I didn't have much. I mean, I didn't make much money. I was still a college kid. Uh, I grew up middle class. And I took a trip over to the Dominican Republic and Haiti. And I'll never forget. Literally the physical culture shock. I mean, this is the early '90s or mid '90s, but it was before that that earthquake. But I, I walked and hiked around outside of Port-au-Prince and out into different areas and and saw uh, and I thought about it years later when that awful uh, earthquake happened. That that folks would have just been watching their entire livelihoods Shoes, kids with no clothes, um, not consistent access to food. It was it was a poverty that I didn't have anything in my brain by which to compare it to, and I remember as a twenty one year old being like, just thinking to myself, I have so many pairs of shoes, like just so simple, but just thinking, I have a hallway full of shoes. Why didn't I bring them? Right, I remember I remember. A Abundance, so much more than I need. Perspective. James, disti- James distinguishes between not the extent of one's wealth, but he's getting at the heart attitude to the wealth that we p- possess. Not about it's not about disavowing those who have more than what you have. It's about looking at your heart and. Letting God speak to us and, and move us by his perspective about what we have and what is our attitude towards it. And what are we pursuing in life? The Bible does not cast dispersions upon the rich just because they're rich, right? The Bible doesn't cast dispersions upon the rich just because they're rich. I mean, if you look at James chapter 5 here, and you go down to verse 11, which we'll talk about in subsequent weeks, he talks about persevering, he talks about um, suffering through difficulty. And then he, he references Job in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have not heard of the steadfastness of Job? Not seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful? And so here he references Job. And so what we see from a biblical perspective is that James is not hammering rich because they're rich. What he's warning against is the rich um, in their attitudes, not just because they're rich. As you As you know from the book of Job, Job had much. Job was a wealthy man. And you would say, but he lost everything. Yes, he did. He lost everything. And he remained steadfast, and he remained faithful. And what happens at the end of Job? God blesses him with two times more than what he had when he started. So we see that this is not about the rich being rich, but it's about the attitude towards the wealth that we possess. The Bible's not casting aspersions on the rich just because they're rich. We see in Job that he was steadfast and even though he lost everything, he remained faithful to God and he his perspective was right in terms of where his affection should be drawn and at the end of his days, the Lord was compassionate and he was given two times everything he had before. As so we see in verse 2, God is really getting at our perspective about our wealth. Let's read verse 2 together. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And you will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Stuff's rotted and it's worn. And we see, we see this uh, in First Timothy. We see God speaking about this in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. If you have your Bible, it's not going to be on the screen. If you have your Bible, turn to it. If you don't, I'm going to read it for you or pull up your phone app, whatever you got. I think this is helpful context from, from the scriptures in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I love that. On the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. Rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may not, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The Bible warns us against the temptations and the folly of the rich, and what it's saying is, it's saying the rich in this present age, don't be haughty, don't be tend towards pride, which would be the temptation of those with a lot. Don't set your hopes on things that are uncertain. James says it's going to rot. Everything that we're pursuing to buy is going to be of future garage sales. Is it not? Two weeks ago, I turned on the shower. thought, man, I bought a really expensive tankless hot water heater. This little computerized box on my wall is supposed to provide me all the scolding hot water I want so I can stand in the shower forever. All I do is I turn a knob, water pours on my face, and it's hot. That is what is supposed to happen considering the amount of money I spent on it. And as I went downstairs and saw an error coming across the computer screen and called the HVAC guy talked to him and had him come over, what I realized is that really expensive things are made to break. And so I spent a whole bunch more money so that I can have instant hot water to pour on my face anytime I turn a faucet. It breaks. It rusts. It disintegrates. It in your coffin with you. You can't take it with you. The pursuits of the things of this world, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of more, the pursuit of more. I've had an occasion in my life at 45 years old to know people in extreme poverty and to know people that we would consider with extreme wealth. And know what I realize? At every stage of worldly pursuits and wealth, whether you make under the poverty line or whether you're worth a half a billion to two billion dollars, you know what I've realized from those people? Is that no matter how much you want, you know what you want? More. I want more. I want more. Look at what he's got. Look at what she's got. I would really love to pursue that. And we waste and spend our lives and our souls and our time and our talent and our treasure chasing the pursuits of things that are going to rust, disintegrate, be eaten by moths. A movie this week about Aretha Franklin, which is remarkable, by the way. There's a moment in her life where she scrambles back at the uh, against the wishes of her producers to go do a gospel album, and they fight with her. And I don't know the status of her faith; I have no idea. But it was interesting in the movie. She comes to a a moment in her life where she has. miserable. She has everything this world can offer and she's tortured inside. And she goes back to her home little church and makes them record a gospel album. And the producers are like, don't do it. Don't do it. No one's going to buy a gospel album. No one's going to buy a gospel album. And she said, I'm not, at least in the movie, I don't know if it's true, but she said, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this for people to buy it. I'm not doing this for anybody. I need to go back to church and I need to scramble back to what matters. You ever pull up the raw footage of Aretha Franklin singing "Amazing Grace" standing in the church? I was like a little—you know, guys know how I am—I cry at the drop of a hat. But my family just stares at me and laughs while tears come down my face. But is that not true? Is that not a commentary that we see all the time? Man, that person has everything. Why did they take their own life? that person has everything. Why are they miserable and addicted to drugs? Man, that person and listen, in the pursuit of everything, what I think a lot of people realize is that when they get everything, they realize they still don't have anything. And then, and then there's despair. Then there is moaning and groaning because I've gotten everything to make me happy. I've gotten everything that was supposed to bring me a depth of joy that the Bible talks about that goes beyond your ability to understand. That peace, that that joy, that thing in your heart that is supposed to matter, that's supposed to make life worthwhile, that's supposed to be valuable. And I have access to everything I could ever want, and it's still not there. Where do I go now? What do I do next? And there's moaning, and there's groaning, and there's despair. Yet it is still so tempting make that the object of our pursuits, is it not? We go after it. The warning really is to those who would know Christ and still pursue these things that are uncertain instead of, in First Timothy, but God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. God's saying, do not put your hope in wealth and in access. It's so uncertain. What God is calling us to this morning is to put our hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Amen? That's the perspective shift He wants to give us. We have wonderful things. We have great things, and, and God has provided those things. Where do all these good things come from? God. There's nothing wrong with having a great meal. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts that God has given you as long as those gifts don't become the...